Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Can you? Can you handle the truth? Well, we're going to try and give it to you on this episode of A Bowl Full of Chips. And while it may be more gossip than gospel right now, we're at least going to give you justification as to why we think some teams are better fit for the college football playoff than others. That's right, college football fans. We're going to lay off the conference chalk and get right into playoff talk on today's Bowl Full of Chips. I am your co-host that warms you like fresh toast, Chappie. And you all know my butter and jelly, Bip. What's shaking, Bacon? Chappie, I am fresh off my temporary leave of absence, where you held down the fort beautifully, I might add. And now that I'm back in the swing of things, I am ready to talk about the hopes and dreams, or more accurately, the squashing of those dreams for our perceived top playoff contenders in the upcoming season. Yep, well, uh, you know, for some, life will be good, and life is certainly good for us, and it's currently good for all in college football. Peace abides, but when you get to December, there will ultimately be four teams happy and 126 others who will ultimately be out of the college football playoff altogether. And as we saw last year, it came real close, and the debate of who should be in was almost more entertaining than the actual playoff games alone. So as we sit here in the second week of June, which teams appear to be in prime position to join the Fantastic Four? We're going to break that down for you tonight on a bowl full of chips, the podcast that covers college football like an all-American press corner inside the red zone. Before we begin, we want to remind you that you can chime in on our arguments and make yours on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC BIP. So give us a follow. Bring us your mind. Show us your passion. You can also visit our show's Twitter page at Bowlful of Chips, where you can visit our website for a growing number of resources and bits of information, including lists, rankings, and previews. You can also find links to our previous podcasts. And you can email us if you wish at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. Here in a bowl full of chips, we love college football, we love to laugh, and we love stupid people. That's right, you heard me, stupid people. So in honor of the college football playoff and the committee that has the task of choosing the four teams, best teams are most deserving, that nearly half the population almost always calls a semblance of pseudonyms synonymous with insanity, we want to give you our tribute to stupid people. So Bip, I'm going to go with mine. Um, I always love these people in the sue happy litigious world that we live in. The people who have the balls to sue for dumb things. I'll lay out three examples for you. Uh, There was the fat guy that sued the fast food chains like McDonald's, Wendy's, um, and others for making him fat. Um, Uh Not realizing that putting greasy food that really um, you almost feel your heart uh, squeezing itself before it goes down the gullet. (laughs) <laughs> he had the audacity to go in and uh, essentially try and get money for putting on a couple hundred extra pounds, not realizing that 
being able to see through his bag, through the grease stains and, and clear through to the garbage that was inside, that somehow was going to be good for him going in. Um, another one I like is the woman who sued McDonald's for spilling hot, I'll remind you, hot coffee and getting burned because apparently not having a label on there that says, warning, contents inside may be hot and can burn you. Um, th there was no tip off to her. It wasn't the fact that when she was holding it and her hands were heated from the outside or the steam rising from the cup wasn't enough, but she decided to put it between her legs and try and drive, which I don't recommend in the first place. And she made a bad <laughs> turn and all of a sudden spoosh, all over her legs and she's got second degree burns and all of a sudden now it's McDonald's fault. But what takes the cake for me, Bip, is the moron, which is one of my favorite words in the dictionary, who put his car on cruise and crawled into the back seat to take a nap and ended up crashing again, had the gall to sue the automobile manufacturer because somewhere in the manual, it doesn't suggest that you should not take a nap while your car is on cruise control and nobody is manning the wheel, uh, not thinking that maybe a road here or there might bend and might turn and cruise control is not going to adjust the steering wheel. So those are my three that take the cake, Bip. What's your take on stupid people? Because God knows we have enough of them in the world. Well, Chappie, my quote unquote favorite stupid people are <laughs> in general people that blame their failures, troubles with the law or lack of intelligence on anyone or anything besides themselves. So oh, yeah. I'm looking at you, parents of kids pulling straight E's on their report card, but not making sure that they attend school every day and still rewarding them with cell phones, cars and such. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you, Chuck E. Cheese parents who get upset that their child was pushed or cut in line by someone else's child. So their solution is to start a brawl with the other parents in front of said children and i'm looking at you ncaa who fight tooth and nail to deny pay for play status of athletes and rightfully so i might add but then seemingly making every transfer waiver decision based off of the importance of the position and the perceived fanfare that each athlete has when determining their immediacy of eligibility all good ones, Bip. And I got to say, you scared me a little bit when you said, I'm looking at you. I was like, what did I do? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Lord, Lord knows that I've had my stupid moments, but I thought you were attacking me right off the get-go. I'm like, oh, okay, that's how we're going to play tonight. <laughs> no, no. D disclaimer, looking at you, was he uh, taken to anyone that this applies for, sir? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, and like I said, I, I might fall into that category at some point or maybe in the, in the past, present, or future. So <laughs> Yeah, just stay away from Chuck E. Cheese then. Uh, uh, that's already on my list. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we're going to get down to our topic for today. So uh, we're looking at the college football playoff in 2019. Now, um, there have been a lot of publications, both national and local, big and small, who have made their claims not only for their preseason rankings and who's going to win the conferences, but everybody's favorite question, who's going to make the Fantastic Four, those four teams at the end of the season, they're going to play for college football's national title. And so what Bip and I did is we took the consensus teams um, that seem to be on everybody's list, and there's a couple regulars, and then there's a few others that you could uh, pick and choose and, and plug and pull for spots three and four. Um, we're going to give you our reasons why we think that they will make the college football playoff, as well as the argument and the devil's advocate side of why they won't make the college football playoff this year for all these teams. And then Bip and I are going to... Um, break it down just a little bit more and, and start to give you that tease into what we think the, the end of the season is going to look like. So Bip, I know you're ready. I'm reared and ready to go. And just a yes, disclaimer sir. here. Um, this is how we see it right now. Bip and I are not going to try and look into the crystal ball and project um, 
what's going to happen in the transfer portal or what teams are going to do in terms of schedule, what teams um, are going to be hit by the injury bug. Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts here. But if you put a gun to our head today and you said you need to put money on four teams or giving us reasons why these teams will or won't, this is what we're going to give to you. And just so that way there's no apparent bias, we're going to give you these teams in alphabetical order. So that's the reasoning for why each team is listed first, second, third, and so on. So, Bip, let's get it started. Going down with team number one in alphabetical order in Tuscaloosa, or I'm sorry, Tuscaloosa, the Crimson Tide <laughs> of Alabama. So let me start here and, and explain why Alabama should make the college football playoff. First of all, Tua Tungavailoa and his receivers and a potential Heisman finalist in Najee Harris, their new running back. I know that might be controversial to some, but he is going to be legit this season. Plus, they bring in Steve Sarkeesian as their offensive coordinator, who's a great quarterback's coach and should only make Tua even better than he already stands. They've got a great defense that should be smothering this year. Uh, I feel like it kind of got away from the tide a little bit at the end of last season as they allowed 28 points or more in their final three games. Um, they also surrendered 4.9 yards per play, um, which was the highest total in Saban's tenure at Alabama since he started here back in 2007. Uh, they, they've got a good defensive front. Their linebackers and a talented secondary will be drilled this offseason by, quote, the process. And we'll, I think that they'll sharpen in 2019. They also bring in or they, they make a change at defensive coordinator. Uh, Pete Golding is really a, a young and up and comer. There's a lot of positive talk about him. Um, he's replacing Tosh Lupoi, who to me inexplicably landed a job with the uh, New England Patriots. Now, Golding is not Tosh Lupoi. Lupoi, I think, was a better recruiter than he was a teacher. Golding coaches or coached the safeties at Southern Miss to success a few years back. He was a defensive coordinator for two years at University of Texas San Antonio, where his units were in the top 30 nationally in 2016 and 2017. And then last season, his first year at Bama, he coached the linebackers and coached them pretty well. Um, and then finally, Nick Saban has, uh, what has he done since the college football started? Well, he's been there. He's made the appearances. Not much has changed, and we don't see it changing this year either. So those are my reasons, Biff, why Alabama will make the college football playoff. Yep. And my thoughts uh, for why they should also make the college football playoff is they're the true challenger to Clemson for the most talented offense in the country. As they return their top four receivers, one of the top two quarterbacks in the country. And I actually like their passing attack more than Clemson's going into the season. As you mentioned, they lose uh, their top two running backs and Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs. But I, like yourself, think that Najee Harris could be more talented than either of those two guys. Their offensive line may not be as impressive as Clemson's, but it's certainly no slouch. And last year, they averaged five and a half pass plays per game in which they uh, gained 20 or more passing yards. Um, and they could even eclipse that this year. Um, looking at their schedule, they only have four road games this year with the only uh, tough road games being against Texas A&M and Auburn. So that should play into their hand as well. I like their chances of making the playoff this year for sure. Well, like we're in again, Bip and I are not saying 100% just yet that Alabama is going to be one of those teams. We'll certainly divulge that later. Uh, but we're going to play devil's advocate for each of these teams as well. So the reasons why Alabama may not make the college football playoff. First of all, uh, they have an offensive line that loses three starters and may be playing two talented but still growing freshmen. Um, I don't care who you are. There are a lot of talented freshmen more so nowadays, but offensive line seems to be one of those positions in college football where freshmen can get the most exposed. Um, it used to be that quarterback was a, a position where if you've got a freshman there, there's a lot to worry. But 
Uh, clearly that's not the case anymore in the college football landscape. But I think at offensive line, especially in the SEC, regardless of your billing coming out of high school, that's that's a tough gig to get to, especially in that SEC West when they're going against some of those pretty good defensive lines that LSU and Auburn and Texas A&M are going to have. Um, my second point is the SEC West is even more competitive this year. Now, they always have been, but they really go legitimately about four deep out of seven teams on that side. If Bama gets tripped up midway by games either at Texas A&M, at Kyle Field, where it gets really, really loud, um, and Bama has had a history of struggling a little bit out there, or if they um, uh, trip up at home against a very good and I think overlooked LSU team, then they have to play in the final week on the Plains at Auburn with one loss already. And like Chip Patterson from 24-7 Sports likes to say, this is an odd year, and Gus Malzahn always seems to turn it on in odd years. Back in 2013, they went 12-2. and 2017, they went 10-4. and four. I think that he's got a lot more talent and a lot more um, going for him this year, especially as he kind of regains the play-calling duties at Auburn. Um, Auburn is certainly not going to be a pushover, and especially since they lost last year, and this is really their Super Bowl um, at that university. That's something that Bama is going to have to contend with and, and could be a, a stumbling block. Chappie, I, I am a little uh, upset that you – Missed the golden opportunity there for one of their famous alumni when you said struggling and you didn't uh, quote the famous <laughs> Joe Namath struggling. Well, and, and I've got a little whiskey going here, too. So uh, maybe if we did this about two hours from now, I, I could have done it naturally. So yeah, you put on that fur coat. Um, but I, um, I put the ball on the tee for you, Biff. That was all. You <laughs> well, I uh, I want to. For... <laughs> so. So Bama loses several key players along their front seven, and that's going to be tough to replace. But um, I don't think that it's going to be as bad as what Clemson loses. So they um, should be still pretty stout uh, up front there. The, the main thing I'm curious for for Alabama this upcoming season is to see how yet another mass exodus of coaches affects the Crimson Tide. Is mm-hmm. They lose Mike Loxley, Tosh Lapoy, Josh Gaddis, and Dan Enos. Um, now, similar to his players, Saban always reloads with his coaches, so they should still be in good shape, but it's it, it's never easy. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's hard to find a flaw with this Bama team, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So going into 2019, um, as I mentioned earlier, I do like their schedule, but uh, like you, uh, I, you know, this is one of those times to where the chips are against uh, Auburn and Gus Malzahn, and that being the last game of the season at Auburn, is that the game that uh, pushes Bama on the other side of the uh, SEC title game, potentially, depending on how the rest of the conference shakes out? Yeah, and I, I do think that if, if Bama goes in and their only loss is to Auburn, I think that actually plays better into their hand because I think that there's more that could be problematic by playing in the SEC championship game than losing that game at Auburn sure. and then having that week off to rest and recoup. Because an 11-1 Bama team that's not playing on championship Saturday, it's almost a given that they're going to be in unless you've got four high-quality um, undefeated teams in the uh, landscape that are averaging 50 points a game and you know have a 21-point differential in scoring margin, but I just don't see that happening. And they're all blue bloods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, UCF, you're not included. <laughs> um, well, let's get to the next one, Clemson. Uh, next in alphabetical order. So, Biff, we'll start with you this time. Why does Clemson make the college football playoff this year? 
Well, we all saw the national championship game, right? Yeah, we did. Sure, it was <laughs> sure it was impressive for that defense to clamp down on that high-flying Alabama offense, but more impressive, in my opinion, was how the Clemson offense cut through that Bama defense like a hot knife through butter. The Tigers returned the majority of that offense, most noteworthy being Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Justin Ross, T. Higgins. They also returned a very talented and experienced offensive line, making this one of the more unfair teams in uh, recent college football memory to defend if you're a defense, especially in that weakened ACC if they can get past games two and three this year when they host Texas A&M and then travel to Syracuse, the rest of the schedule should be a cakewalk for them and should allow for another perfect season and a trip to the ACC title game for the Tigers. So you must have been looking at my computer screen here because you had almost exactly <laughs> everything that I pointed out. Um, good for you, man. Uh, yeah, so they've got Dabo Swinney and Jeff Scott, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, uh, all on offense with those receivers and an experienced and rugged offensive line that will be rock solid by November. Plus, on the other side of the ball, a passionate Brent Venables and his new defense that should be just as smothering as they've been before, but perhaps with even more speed and athleticism. And like you mentioned, their out-of-conference schedule is um, pretty uh, pretty understandable. Uh, they play a transitioning Georgia Tech team in the opener going from a uh, triple option personnel group now going to more of a spread almost an air raid type offense that's going to take them some time to to mesh on that good luck going against clemson then they've got AM at home uh in a game where they want to bury the aggies for almost getting tripped up in college station last year i think that that's a game that clemson players are circling and they want to make a statement out of the aggies this year and then they mm -hmm. play charlotte who's got a new coach this season and then they play in the ACC, and aside from what should be a more challenging Florida State who they get in Death Valley, their only real tests are going to be at Syracuse, but they get them early in week three when I don't think that the Orange are going to be just ready to play Clemson yet. If that game's in November, that's a much different uh, outcome, I, I think. But in uh, in week three, I, I'm going to say right now, I, I see Clemson as a two-touchdown favorite. And then they've got at NC State in November, which could be a little bit of a trip-up game, but again... Clemson's done it before where they've lost a game in November, but it's in the ACC and that's their only loss and they've still made it to the college football playoffs. So those are reasons why I think we see Clemson in that final four again this season. And similar to what you mentioned about them almost getting tripped up against A&M, being that Trevor Lawrence got knocked out in the game against Syracuse, you think that offensive line's got a little bit of motivation to keep his jersey a little clean? Just a tad. And Alton Robinson <laughs> is going to be headhunted. I, I can pretty much guarantee you that. They're going to oh, yeah. make sure that he stays away from their quarterback. And I wouldn't even be surprised to see uh, T-Law lower a shoulder and, and maybe even give a little stare down just to say, um, you know, I'm not scared of what happened last year, man. So little Ronnie Bass in him. Um, That's right. Yeah, that should that should be one of the more uh, intriguing matchups throughout the entire college football season is Robinson and Coleman going to go, going up against that stout uh, offensive line of Clemson in that game. Well, turning it around, Chappie, um, the the cons that I have going into this season for Clemson. They lost a ton on that front seven. So not only did they lose five defensive linemen, four of them having been drafted in the NFL, uh, they also lose starting linebackers, Trey Lamar and Kendall Joseph, and that's a ton of production to have to replace. Now, Clemson does recruit well, not quite to the level of Bama when you think about across the board, but they should be in pretty decent shape, especially when you consider they still have um, – uh, Isaiah Simmons and uh, Xavier Thomas coming back to lead that front seven, as well as some other key contributors. 
But uh, that secondary looks to be stingy once again. And as you already mentioned, Brett Venables is one of the best in the biz. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they can get some uh, solid production out of Xavier Thomas and Isaiah Simmons on that front seven and then have the new guys step in and, and play a, a, a good role to try and replace all the production they lost, that should help them out a little bit. Um, but that front seven is going to be, uh, if they have an Achilles heel at all, it'll definitely be that going into the season. Yeah, and, and just recently lost from that front seven is projected inside linebacker starter Shaq Smith, who put his name in the transfer portal and ended up at Maryland. Um, so he'll be playing for Mike Loxley. Um, as well as everyone else in the country. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, when you talk about losing uh, starters in that front seven for Clemson, that's like um, tearing up when they miss America pageants over and saying, oh, all those girls are gone. And then you get back these other 10 beauties in the final 10 the next year. Bip. It's, uh, <laughs> you're not really losing much, you know, no reason to shed tears. That, that's going to be a good athletic front. I especially like Thomas. We've talked about that. But Xavier Kelly and Tyler Davis are two guys at defensive tackle to watch out for. Athletic as well as, you know, strong and big. Um, I have no doubt that Brenton Venables is going to get them uh, reared and ready to go. So my my why nots for, for why Clemson, Clemson may not make it to the college football playoff. I'll be honest, I really can't see a scenario where they won't. Unless injuries strike to Lawrence, Etienne, and their, you know, more of the front seven is lost due to injury. Um, or the other scenario is if they lose in the ACC championship game in a wacky day like we had back on December 4th, 1998, when number two uh, Kansas State got beat by Texas A&M, uh, UCLA knocked off uh, Miami. There was, uh, you know, Tennessee almost lost that day. So there was, I think, like three or four teams in the top five that all lost and, and basically lost out on a chance to um, play for a national championship that weekend. Um, you you have to think that Clemson is likely going to play either Virginia Tech or Miami in the ACC championship, and both should have good defenses that could pose problems if they strike the Tigers at the right moments. And a recent loss to a, quote, lesser team in that championship game might just knock the Tigers out of there if there are other one-loss teams with a better strength of schedule. But again, I just don't see a scenario where Clemson does not make it to the college football playoff, mainly because of what you said. It's pretty much a a walk in the park through that ACC schedule and then Mm -hmm. even in the ACC championship. Sadly, we really haven't seen a competitive ACC championship game in in a few years, Bip. So um, I'm right. hoping and, that and they're gonna and they're gonna get a ton of style points throughout the season. To where if they do have one loss, they should be able to make up for it with their name, their talent level, the perceived. They're one of the best four teams in the country, and how uh, statistically they're going to look uh, by the end of the season, in my anticipation. Yeah, and on top of that, Dabo is a great politician. So even if they lose that yes. ACC championship game, he's going to be on that press podium after the game, pitching and pitching and pitching. And ESPN, who's already in bed with him anyway, is going to have him on, <laughs> and he'll come, you know, live via satellite. Basically, tears in his eyes talking about why Clemson and his boys deserve to be back again. And I mm-hmm. think that committee is going to be soft for it, and, and they will be in it. I think so, too. All right. Well, the next team up is the Dogs out of Georgia. So here's why Georgia should make the college football playoff. Jake Fromm, their quarterback, has, has proven to be a championship signal caller. 
I don't count the Sugar Bowl last year when Georgia was still a little butthurt from not making it to the uh, the Final Four in the college football playoff. I think mm-hmm. that that was an anomaly. Um, but it's clear that Jake Fromm is a great leader, and I think that that bad taste in his mouth from the Texas game a year ago is going to be something that's going to drive him, and he's going to continue to drive his teammates. He is a, a man among boys, and and like we've talked about, just a lot of respect for for number 11 out there in Athens. Um, He's going to have one of the most productive run games in the country with a slew of backs and the best offensive line in the NCAA to work with. And this set of receivers isn't going to be too shabby either. I know they lose Nicole Hardman and Riley Ridley and, um, you know, but they're going to bring back, uh, you know, Holloman and I think Demetrius Robertson, who was a transfer from Cal and kind of was a little bit overshadowed last year, uh, is going to help out. Um, you know, Pickens, the kid that they got, uh, stole away from Auburn is going to be uh, a help on the outside. So, um, I think the offense is going to be, uh, one of the better units in the sec in terms of efficiency. Anyway, they may not put up the big yardage in the, in the numbers statistically, but they're going to certainly march down the field and put up points. Speaking of not making it to the college football playoff last year, I think that's another reason why there could, they, they could be here in 19, 2019. Some say the committee got it wrong by using evidence that the Irish took such a butt whooping to Clemson. And perhaps, perhaps Georgia would have made a more competitive foe since they went toe to toe with Bama in the SEC championship a couple weeks prior. But you could also validate the argument that since Bama got smoked by 28 in the national championship game, Georgia would have likely suffered a similar or worse fate in round one. Still, Kirby, Thank you. <laughs> still Kirby Smart <laughs> is too proud of a man and carries some bitterness with him where he goes, especially when he's seen as second best to anybody. We know that he does not sit well with that uh, persona, and uh, I think that those are reasons why we we could see Georgia in the Fantastic Four this year. Bip, how about you? Well, uh, I'm going to reiterate uh, several of your points. Um, they, My number one reason for them is that quarterback and that offensive line could be the best uh, offensive line in the entire country, both in terms of talent and depth. They've recruited a, amongst the uh, maybe the best of anyone in the country the past couple of years on that offensive line. So they not only have a lot of talent uh, that will be starting for them, but they go deep in talent on along that offensive line in multiple positions, Jake Fromm, we're both big fans of him. I think he's going to have a fantastic junior year on uh, what could be a swan song for uh, Georgia. Now they do lose Elijah Holyfield at running back and four of their five uh, top pass catchers from last year's squad, including tight end Isaac Nada in that group. However, like you mentioned, the cupboard's not bare uh, at either of those positions as Demetrius Robertson, uh, Jeremiah Holloman, and then Miami transfer Lawrence Cager coming in at wide receiver. Um, And then at running back, they have an embarrassment of riches with DeAndre Swift, James Cook, and Zamir White. Um, So the the transition from the old to the new in those position groups should be made a lot easier with uh, Jake Fromm and the big boys up front for Georgia. I like this offense a lot, and um, I think that they could lead um, Georgia to the playoff more so than with their defense, which is kind of a change from the past few years when that defense has made all the headlines. Right, and, and that's something that's not to be forgotten either. That defense is going to be uh, even faster than last year, a little bit more experienced, um, especially that mm-hmm. secondary that we talked about when we broke down the, the SEC from last year and then our spring reports. So uh, all around, this is just a good Georgia team. But there's yeah. got to be arguments why they may not make it, Bip. So here's mine. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to replace both coordinators. So James Coley comes in and replaces Jim Chaney on the offensive side. 
Dan Lanning replaces Mel Tucker, who left for the Colorado job on defense. So how quickly can they adapt and adjust to the new voices before they get into the heart of SEC play when they have to play Notre Dame, then travel to Knoxville in back-to-back games, and then they also go out to Jordan-Hare Stadium to play a skilled Auburn Tiger team, who, again, I think that so many people are overlooking. Their defense returns a good amount of experience and certainly some highly recruited talent, but their numbers, especially up front, were productive, though not necessarily powerful. They'll have a dynamic back seven, but it all starts up front, and that's the biggest question mark for the Dogs, as they lost Jonathan Ledbetter and Jay Hayes, as well as outside linebackers DeAndre Walker and Juwan Taylor. Walker was one of my favorite players to watch on this team last year. Um, they also lost middle linebacker Natrez Patrick. So filling in uh, those voids, I think, like I said, they've got certainly the athleticism and the four and five star talent that's there, but it's not so much um, the individuals. It's how you mold them together as a team. So all of that going along with new defensive coordinator Dan Lanning. How quickly is that going to come together? Because like I mentioned, they've got those tests early on. Yep. And it, for me, it's the same thing. It's all about that. They need to be able to find a pass rush as losing Walker and Ledbetter. Uh, those two combined for 17 and a half tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks last year. Walker was actually the only Bulldog who had more than two sacks over the entire 2018 season. So losing that uh, or losing the, that pair and then the other defenders that you mentioned, um, they're going to need to come up with someone that can get to the quarterback and not just that, but also get into the backfield. Um, and that schedule is, like you mentioned, not going to do them any favors. They open the year against Vandy and keep an eye on that game as Vanderbilt has lots of firepower on offense and don't sleep on Ball State transfer quarterback Riley Neal at quarterback. And with that being a road game, maybe Georgia comes out rusty or flat I don't anticipate them losing that one, but if they're going to have a trip up game, that's as good of any uh, of their conference um, opponents early in the season. Uh, And as you mentioned, they do have Notre Dame coming into town in week four. They have a tough November playing five games, and those opponents include Florida, Missouri, at Auburn, Texas A&M, and then closing out the year with rival uh, at rival Georgia Tech. Yeah, I... um... I agree with your assessment on Vanderbilt. I think that, you know, we've seen Georgia open up against teams like Appalachian State a few years ago, um, and and they did kind of come out flat. Now, that game's out in Nashville. It's going to be on national TV. I think it might even be like a Thursday night game. However, um, I agree. I don't don't see the dogs losing that game, but I, I, I wouldn't put it past Vandy winning by, you know, six points or seven points or something like that and having people saying, oh, is this not the Georgia team we thought? And then, of course, uh, you know, Georgia comes back the next week and thumps their next opponent and and gets, uh, you know, a lot of style points before the Irish come into Athens. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's go next to the Michigan Wolverines, where they like to say hail to the victors, except for against Ohio State. Um, <laughs> so, Bip, I'll let you start with our wonderful Wolverines from Ann Arbor. Tell us why Michigan should make the college football playoffs. Sorry for my laughter. Pass. <laughs> um, hey, pass. No, I, <laughs> and all in all seriousness, um, this offense could be much improved and much changed from the years past of Jim Harbaugh and Wolverine fans are thinking, thank God, it's all going to start at quarterback and at wide receiver. So Tariq Black, Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones represent one of the best groups of wide receiver in the entire country. They just need to hope that Tariq Black can stay healthy this year as he's only played a combined six games the past two seasons. Loaded with talent, just a little brittle so far uh, at this point in his career. And throwing them the ball is Shea Patterson, who's really one of the most polarizing quarterbacks in the country, as people either love him or hate him. 
I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I mm-hmm. think he's got the talent, and I think he could potentially flourish under new coordinator, offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis. But when things break down for him, he isn't exactly the coolest under pressure. So can he improve upon his decision-making? Can the wide receiver group uh, remain healthy as they're, they're going to have questions at uh, at running back? Um, and they have a a um, experienced group of, of offensive linemen, um, but it, it's all going to be in that passing game. And is Harbaugh going to let Gaddis uh, keep control and and have have the keys to that offense or is he going to take it over if Gaddis stays in control of that offense all season I think the Wolverines offense could power them towards the playoffs Chappie here's my big question with with that scenario if Michigan goes and plays against the Buckeyes in Ann Arbor and you know say they're undefeated or maybe they have one loss to um you know one of the Big Ten teams or even Notre Dame um and they're down at halftime, does Harbaugh take the keys from Gaddis? Even if they are undefeated, let's say they're averaging 45 points a game, but at halftime in Ann Arbor, they're down 21 nothing. Does khaki pants, as our friends on the Eyes on Big podcast like to call him, <laughs> um, does he say, okay, it's mine now, even though Gaddis has you know, built up such a, a great track record in uh, the first 11 games? So, Right, and, and that kind of goes into some of my uh... – playing devil's advocate for the Wolverines. So I didn't want to touch upon it too much, but yeah, if Harbaugh can keep hands off of that (laughs) offense, I think they'll be in good shape, but we've seen that story happen. We've seen how that's played out the last few years. So, yeah. And, and I agree with Tariq black, such a talent, but he's about as, uh, he's shown to be about as strong so far as trying to dip a Pringle chip through a, uh, a French onion dip that's been sitting in the fridge for uh, a few hours. So, <laughs> right. Well, I, I agree with a lot of your assessments on why they will make the uh, college football playoff. In all seriousness, love him or leave him. Shea Patterson is an experienced and successful quarterback who gives new offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis almost the perfect style quarterback to run his up-tempo, fast-paced spread system. Patterson's a winner, and he seems dedicated to go out as a winner, especially at U of M, where he grew up a big fan uh, just outside of Toledo, Ohio. Now, their receivers are going to pressure your secondary downfield and probably win that matchup eight times out of ten. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Nico Collins, Tariq Black, Ronnie Bell, and athletic tight end Anthony Eubanks, who's a name that will uh, emerge this year, are all going to help Shea Pat inflate his passing numbers this season. And that'll also translate to points, which seems to be the secret formula in college football uh, success. Then Don Brown on the defensive side will have a defense that's worthy of stifling opposing offenses, headlined by one of the better secondaries in the country with Josh Metellus and Lavert Hill um, and a group of young, beefy, strong, aggressive D linemen that don't care about playing nice in their efforts at getting to the football. So those are my reasons, Bip, why Michigan will make the college football playoff. Or should make the right. football playoff, I should say. All right, Chappie. Now it's time for the fun part. And honestly, I think I could have uh, my own podcast segment as to why <laughs> Michigan will not make the playoff. As I personally don't see why nationally they're getting so much pub about being ranked within the top four uh, it's nationally. Michigan. Yep, it's Michigan. It's made <laughs> so, <in> blue blood. <laughs> right. So they have the obvious. They have losses at running back. They'll be real thin. And if they don't uh, get someone to be their bell cow, they could be in a world of hurt there. Also, the losses that they had along the defensive line and linebacker um, are going to be big potential detriments to them this year. But the number one reason that I have going into the season as to why Michigan will not make the playoff uh, potentially 
is going to be old Jim Harbaugh himself <laughs> and his record against his biggest rivals and in his biggest games during his tenure at Michigan. So his last uh, in three of the last four years since he's been in Ann Arbor, he's won 10 games. However, he's 0-4 against Ohio State, 2-2 and against Michigan State, 0-1 against Notre Dame, 1-3 and in bowl games, and he's 4-11 and against teams that had 10-plus wins in a particular season. So Harbaugh, to me, has fallen into a category of coaches that I cannot trust to win the big game. Now, they do get Michigan, or I'm sorry, they do get Notre Dame, Michigan State, and Ohio State all at home, but they have lost both home games to, Mich- to Michigan State under Harbaugh. Notre Dame uh, follows a trip from the Wolverines to Happy Valley, where the Nittany Lions could be a trap game, as odd as that sounds, in and of itself, or Notre Dame could take advantage of the fact that they have a bye week heading into that matchup with the Wolverines. Uh, games against Army and at Wisconsin within the first three games of the season won't be easy, and keep an eye on their late November matchup against Indiana that is sandwiched by uh, in between Michigan State and Ohio State. That game is in Bloomington, and the Hoosiers are one of those teams that could give the Wolverines a game based on Michigan's opponents before and after that week, as they always seem to be one of those pesky um, blue blood uh, team or, or pesky teams to the blue bloods in the Big Ten. Yeah, and right now, a lot of Michigan fans going through their head are, who's the winningest program in college football history? And uh, (laughs) Ohio State, where's your head coach? Where did he go? Or uh, at least we don't have wife-beating assistant coaches uh, playing on the Zach Smith thing. So um, you know that there's a lot of excuses there. But again, getting back to seriousness, here's my devil's advocate reasons why uh, Michigan may not make the college football playoff this year. Running back Zach Charbonnet looks like he's going to be a good running back. Um, I really like this kid. However, he sat out the spring rehabbing a knee after a cleaning procedure to make his knee healthier after some injuries in high school. The U of M team doctors are some of the best in the world, so we'll trust he's in good hands. But if God has other plans, what does the running back room look behind him? They don't have Chris Evans anymore, so it's not very promising and certainly not very deep. Um, also, getting to the Scarlet and Gray, that team across the border and down in Columbus that classifies themselves as the Ohio State University, they've won 16 out of the last 18 against the Maize and Blue, and Harbaugh, like you said, has never beaten them as head coach in Ann Arbor. But the game is in the big house. Harbaugh has a lot of pressure, which he seems to work well under, and as of right now anyway, Urban is not going to be coaching on the other sidelines. So... Um, <laughs> Those are kind of my reasons why Michigan may not make the the college football playoff this year. And I, I'm kind of with you. I, I'm surprised to see some people putting them in that group of four just yet. Um, of course, that can always change. But speaking of that school in Columbus, let's break down the Scarlet and Gray, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So um, sure. reasons why they could make the college football playoff. Well, simply put, great talent, especially at the skill positions. J.K. Dobbins and Master Teague, who's going to emerge as a uh, second running back this year. K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, Benjamin Victor, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave at wide receivers. I could keep going. Three solid tight ends. And I think also, Bip, a defense that will be much improved in one of the better units in the Big Ten. Yes, I said it. Ohio State will be one of the better defenses in the Big Ten this year. Greg Madison, who left Michigan, as many would say a traitor, and is a good defensive coach specializing in the front seven. And a past defense or secondary coach, Jeff Halfley, is called one of the bright rising stars in the coaching world. Simply put, the Buckeyes have a lot of individuals that can make you hurt both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Um, I think that they're even deeper on defense. Last year was a little bit of an out-of-sorts season for Ohio State defense, but they turned it on toward the end of the year. 
And even without Urban Meyer, Ryan Day is, you know, proves proved to me last year to be one of the better play callers, bar none. Um, and, you know, he certainly has the talent that's there. That schedule sets up pretty good for Ohio State, except for the fact that they've got to go to Ann Arbor at the end of the year. But ultimately, that's what Ohio State's de- season comes down to anyway. Um, they don't really run into many roadblocks early in the season. Although I will say, watch out for the Indiana Hoosiers. They have to go to Bloomington in week three or four. And so that could be a trip up game for the Buckeyes or at least uh, something that makes Buckeye fans sweat. So that's my reasons why Ohio State looks to be making the college football playoff this year. Bip, how about you? Well, and speaking of trip up game, we know that those have happened the past two years for Ohio State towards the middle of the season. Yep. How are you feeling about that trip to Evanston midseason on October 18th, Chappie? Well, I'm going to get to that on a later <laughs> podcast there, Bip. I um, figured, I figured, <laughs> but that has to make you feel a little good that they'll be traveling to your Wildcats uh, midseason when they normally have stubbed their toe the last couple of years. But Going into the season, I think Ohio State once again enters the year as one of the most athletic teams in the country. J.K. Dobbins should compete for the Doak Walker Award. Um, They return a lot on defense, especially in their back seven. And they get, as you mentioned, Greg Madison in as their new uh, co-defensive coordinator. Him and um, Don Brown have always had a lot of respect for them. Was happy to see that Madison got away from Michigan, as I think he could be a real asset for the Buckeyes. Um, and that should really help improve upon their poor showing defensively from last year. Chase Young will challenge uh, for most sacks in the conference, if not in the country this year on that defensive line. And despite losing three wide receivers, they'll have one of the deepest groups of receivers in the country, as you already listed off all the talent that they have uh, in the receiving core. And again, as you mentioned already, this schedule really sets up for them to potentially be 11-0 when they travel to Ann Arbor. They just need to avoid, as we were mentioning right now, the inexplicable loss that has tripped them up each of the past two years against foes like Iowa and Purdue. Yep, and uh, I just want to point out that Michigan fans, when they heard you talk about Greg Madison, uh, you mispronounced asset. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So... um, so what about why not or why Ohio State will not make the playoff this year, Bip? Well, oddly enough, I see that quarterback and head coach as being the biggest cons. And let me clarify that mm-hmm. what I see as their biggest detriment at the beginning of the season might be completely fine by year end. However, transitioning from a quarterback who rewrote the uh, the Big Ten single season record book or transitioning from an all-time great head coach, never easy, but doing both in the same season might be met with some challenges by the Buckeyes. They also lose over 3,500 yards from scrimmage with the losses of Paris Campbell, Mike Weber, Terry McLaurin, and Johnny Dixon. And that defense, while they return a decent amount and while they have talent uh, defensively, it was still one of the uh, poorer defenses in the Big Ten last year. I think that that defense should be improved upon from uh, the past season, but Um, we already mentioned that they have a tendency to trip up, uh, against inexplicable, uh, foes from the big, uh, from conference play. And I'm just not completely sold on Justin Fields. Yes. He was one of the more highly decorated high school recruits to come in at the quarterback position in quite some time. Um, but I'm not quite ready to dub him the next big thing until seeing a couple, a couple games under his belt and seeing how the Buckeyes play under Ryan Day, despite how well they played uh, when he filled in for Urban Meyer last year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, getting back to your thought that there could be a trip up game at Northwestern. Sadly, I think Northwestern is one in like 35 in their last 36 games against the Buckeyes. Um, 
So <laughs> I'm going to hold off on on that hope and speculation just yet. But I am I am sure, going to do everything sure. I can to get a press pass and be there in the press box for that game in Evanston against the Buckeyes. That should be great. Um, I have to be honest, Bip. When I was first looking at preseason picks, um, I put Ohio State as my number three team in the nation behind Clemson and Alabama and really thought that they had enough talent and ability and, and all those other factors to challenge one of those two teams. When breaking down this segment for our podcast, I'm not so sure that they make the college football playoff. So here's why. Ryan Day becomes a head coach. He has to replace Urban Meyer, who is a legend in the coaching ranks. Um, I put him right there with uh, Paul Bryant and uh, Nick Saban. I, I mean, he's that good. You look at his winning percentage, 85%. It uh, doesn't get much better than that. So Ryan Day has to replace right. him, and he's, and he's giving up his play-calling duties to Kevin Wilson. Now, Kevin Wilson is known for being a, a very good offensive mind and offensive play-caller. Um, he was the offensive coordinator for three teams at Oklahoma that played for a national championship, though never won any of those three. Um, it's still going to be interesting to see how Wilson uses his weapons and um, you know how he manages being the play-caller and, and how much trust does Ryan Day have in Kevin Wilson? Because usually when you're in that first year coaching, you're trying to make a name for yourself. And that's in some cases your make or break year. So, you know, how, how much trust and how much of a leash does Kevin Wilson get? The schedule can be tricky. Like you said, at Indiana, where they've struggled and squeaked out wins in years past with Urban Meyer at Nebraska at Northwestern, and then at Michigan, which should be for the big 10 championship game, uh, birth for the East side there. And there's no guarantee that a one-loss Big Ten team gets in over a one-loss SEC team when it's likely that Clemson and even a one-loss Big 12 champ will gain the nod, especially if it's Texas or Oklahoma. And then finally, if Justin Fields does not live up to his Heisman without playing a relevant snap hype, or God forbid he gets injured, the quarterback room is somewhat bare. Though I like Kentucky transfer Gunnar Hoke, who's an Ohio kid, I don't necessarily like his chances of leading this team to a one-loss record and a Big Ten title. So with all those factors coming in, if any of those go sour, this could be a disappointing year for Ohio State standards, even if it, even if it is a 10-2, uh, 11-1 season, but that one or two losses comes against, you know, in, in ill time. So, mm -hmm. so the next team, we kind of mentioned Oklahoma as a potential Big 12 champ. So they're our next uh, focus in this college football playoff scenario. So, Bip, start us with why you think the Sooners could make the college football playoff in 2019. Well, my my number one reason is going to be Lincoln Riley and his offensive mind and that offensive machine that he's built um, within uh, Oklahoma. Now, he gets Jalen Hurts to transfer in, and I'm not sold on Hurts being a Heisman contender like lots of other people are. Um, not either. It, but with that group of running backs and the talented crop of freshman receivers to add to CD Lamb and that crew of uh, receivers out there in Norman, it should allow for Hertz to be successful enough to turn out to turn out in my anticipation at least ten wins. They also return a lot of starters on defense. Now their defense was one of the worst in the country last year, but it was a younger defense and it does have talent. They also bring in defensive coordinator Alex Grinch, who could help turn things around. And that schedule that they have should play for them to at least have 11 wins going into what I'm expecting to be um, an eight or a Big 12 uh, conference championship game. And depending on who they lose to and who their opponent is in that uh, Big 12 championship game, that could be enough to vault them into the playoff, Chappie. Yep. So, um, 
very similar to a lot of yours, and I agree with your points. Um, look at all they have on offense, Bip. A quarterback who's played in three consecutive national championship games, winning one, perhaps the best crew of wide receivers in the country, two very good, very capable running backs, an offensive line coach and co-offensive coordinator, Bill Bedenbaugh, whose group won the Joe Moore Award last year for the best offensive front in the country. Oh, and they have the greatest offensive mind in the college game working with that talent in Lincoln Riley. It's almost unfair. Mm -hmm. And like Ohio State, the defense will be improved this year under new defensive coordinator Alex Grinch, who, oddly enough, came from Ohio State. And they'll have a couple All-Americans in Kenneth Murray and Ronnie Perkins, not to mention Trey Brown at cornerback. So they could, you know, as, as much as their defense was talked about for bad reasons last year, um, they could have two, possibly three All-Americans at season's end when it's when it's all done. And the big thing for me, head coach Lincoln Riley is slowly becoming the next Urban Meyer in college football. Yep, you heard that right. He's 24-4 and with two appearances in the college football playoff in just two years coaching. He's coached two Heisman Trophy winners, who, by the way, were um, transfers, just like his quarterback this year. Um, Meyer coached just one Heisman winner. Urban was 17-6 and in his first two years at Bowling Green, 22-2 and in his first two at Utah, 22 and four in his first two at Florida and 24 and two in his first two seasons at Ohio State. Both have an 854 winning percentage identical, though Myers was over the span of 17 years while Riley's sample size is just a bit too small right now. There seems to be more upside to Lincoln Riley and you get the sense that he has that Midas touch. All this said, Riley only seems to be gaining momentum and not slowing down. And as evidenced last year, the committee seems to like the Sooners over other teams that may or may not have a stronger resume, Bip. And I think it's clear that if you've got that high-flying offense, that's what the committee likes because that's what's going to um, get people to tune in and watch, and that's what's going to get people excited about the college football playoff. So those are reasons why I think Oklahoma should make the college football playoff this year. I like that, Chappie. What about uh, our devil's advocate? What what makes you think that the Sooners could be on the outside looking in this year for the college football playoff? Okay, so to answer the question, why not? Well, they need to rebuild an offensive line. They lose four starters from last year's best line in the country. Uh, Redshirt sophomore Creed Humphrey does return, and he also has one of the coolest first names. But that's all from that. But that's it from that front unit. One can assume they're going to rebuild as they've had the ninth best recruiting hall over the last four years. But still, losing four guys um, is something that you do have to contend with, especially if you're breaking in a new quarterback as well, who they say they're going to try and keep as more of a little bit of a, a pocket passer than uh, his predecessors, Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. Um, especially with a, a troubled knee injury in the past. Their schedule is not nearly as easy as it was in years past. They open with a good Houston team. They play at UCLA, which could be a trap, who some are calling a potential surprise team, kind of like Syracuse, Kentucky, or Washington State last year. Um, that's the Bruins. And there's always that Red River rivalry game against Texas. So, um, you know, again, we, we try not to speculate too much on schedule, but you can't help but overlook who a team's going to play, especially as you get into the later part of Big 12 season. Um, you know, that's certainly going to be something that the, the Sooners are going to have to contend with. They have to play at Baylor on November 16th, and they're playing at Oklahoma State in that Bedlam game. And that's one that scares me if I'm a Sooner fan because it was so close in Norman last year. And Mike Gundy at that point in the season probably not going to be playing for a Big 12 championship. So he's got, uh, you know, more reason to kind of uh, go all in and, and put all the chips on the table, whereas Riley is going to have to probably play a little bit more conservative trying to, um, you know, 
stay put and, and stay safe to uh, have that solid resume going into the college football playoff uh, determination. But well, great minds think alike. Once again, Chappie, um, that offensive line they they do lose four starters, all four of them drafted to the NFL. Now they are still expected to have a very good offensive line, but mm-hmm. a downgrade uh, from last year for sure. It's hard to replace two straight Heisman Trophy winners. And outside of that, there's got to be immense pressure on Jalen Hurts' shoulders. Not only is he expected to come in and lead them to the playoffs, just the way that he's uh, been there in years past with Alabama, but now you have the heightened uh, pressure of, can you be the third straight Heisman Trophy quarterback under Lincoln Riley? And that defense could be improved, but it might not be. If it's a clone of last year, then the Sooners could be in for uh, more shootouts, and I don't think that Jalen Hurts is more uh, is just as well suited to do so as Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield were in years past. Their season uh, or their schedule, uh, as I mentioned before, looks really manageable. But similar to you, I'm kind of worried about those games at Baylor and at Oklahoma State in uh, uh, their la- within their last three games of the season, and it's going to really test what that new defense looks like. Will those tests, at least one of those, be too much for the Sooners? And I think added into that pressure that uh, Jalen Hurts is going to face, now everybody is going to absolutely compare him to Tua or Alabama. Um, So before, when he was just backing up Tua, it was kind of like they were comparing, you know, ghosts of the past. But now both are starting quarterbacks, both are Heisman candidates. So there's going to be that pressure as well. And you know that ESPN is going to pour that on like maple syrup. So, (laughs) um, you know, that's just something to boot. Yep. Well, let's go out to Seattle, Washington. Um, our last team from the Power Five that we're gonna that we've seen as a potential college football playoff contender, and I'm gonna put contender in quotes and italics there. Um, so here's reasons why Washington is said to possibly make the college football playoff in the Fantastic Four this year. They should have a very productive offense with Georgia transfer Jacob Eason, an apparent easy upgrade from Jake Browning. Most would say. Eason spent all last year at UW on the practice squad and in the system, but nobody's talking about him this year for some reason. Um, He's got a good set of receivers and tight ends to throw to if they can stay healthy. One of the best offensive lines west of the Mississippi, led by center Nick Harris, guard Luke Luke Wattenberg, and the return of big offensive tackle Trey Adams, who missed most of 2018 with injury, and a blazer at running back Salvin Ahmed, who runs a 4-3-40, at a place where running backs always seem to do just fine, Bip. Um, Chris Peterson is another big reason why they could make it because he knows how to make something out of, ah, thought I was going to say nothing, didn't you? Uh, but seriously, <laughs> when Chris Peterson teams are counted out, he shines in 2015, they limped out of a seven and six season only to go 12 and two the following year, which included a spot in the college football playoff where they started the season off ranked 14th and 18th in the AP and coaches polls respectively. I've seen them bip ranked anywhere from 12 to 18 behind both Oregon and Washington state within their own division in the Pac-12 in many early polls. So I think that that's going to be a little bit of a chip on the shoulder that Chris Peterson's going to use to his advantage. And he always gets these kind of overlooked, undervalued guys, um, gets the most out of them, similar to Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Um, So I think that those are reasons why the Huskies could edge their way into that college football playoff talk. But as it seems to always be with the Pac-12, they've got to be undefeated. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yep, exactly. Losing a four-year starting quarterback is usually never a good thing, but this could work out very well for the Huskies as Jake Browning looked like he played his career in rewind and was never able to come close to a stellar sophomore season. 
uh, as he finished last year with a 16 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio, even got yanked a game or two. Um, I have to wonder if uh, Jacob Eason had a footprint on Twitter or the social media scene. Would he have been eligible to play immediately last year? Uh, Because (laughs) like you said, nobody's talking about this guy, but he was one of the more highly touted quarterbacks to come out. And if he weren't going up against all everything Jake Fromm and dealing with an injury uh, in and of itself to where Fromm led his team to uh, the national championship game, you have to wonder if Eason would have had more of a chance in that quarterback competition. But um, so they get him coming in and he'll have a great group of receivers to throw to with Fuller, Baselia, Jones, and even Richard freshman Marquis Spiker and Austin Osborne have impressed during the spring. Um, you mentioned their running game should be good. And that defense is always uh, tough within that Pac-12. Not to mention the Huskies get their toughest opponents in USC, Oregon, Utah, and Washington State all at home. So the schedule sets up nicely for them. I think that uh, perhaps the schedule, just as much as anything, could play to them making their way into the Pac-12 championship game. And if they can look impressive throughout the season doing so and come away with the Pac-12, depending on what the record is, what the records of the rest of the teams are, I could see them maybe uh, wiggling their way in if things shake out nicely for them. Uh, come December. All right, Bip, so tell us why not. Why won't the Huskies make the college football playoff? Well, as I mentioned, that defense should be good, but they lost a lot of talent. Now, the secondary loses three key players, but I can kind of get past that because Washington always replaces NFL talent with future NFL talent in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Combining those losses, though, with uh, Tevis Bartlett, Greg Gaines, Ben Burkirvin, Uh, It makes it a lot harder to swallow. And where I see the Huskies potentially slipping um, this year is potentially around the two games surrounding their trip to Hawaii. So they're home against Cal in, I believe, their second game of the season. They then travel to Hawaii and then travel to BYU. So the Huskies should be favored in each of those games. But that tough D of of Cal is... uh, one that could be very difficult to play against in the second game of the season, especially breaking in a new quarterback, a new running back and playing at BYU could present its own set of challenges on a shortened week due to the Hawaii travel schedule that they'll have the week before. So um, the, the combination of that defense kind of losing a decent amount of talent uh, combined with the fact of the, the breaking in of, of the new quarterback and Jacob Eason, seeing how long it's going to take for him to acclimate himself in that Washington offense. Those are the couple of stumbling blocks that I see for the Huskies this year, Chappie. Yeah, and I'm actually going to play devil's advocate to you. I th- I see those first four games against Eastern Washington, Cal, and Hawaii at home, then at BYU, who I don't think is ready yet. I think that could be a potential stumbling block leading them into their fifth game against USC. I think USC is going to be an improved team this season, and – I don't see the Huskies battle-tested enough to really be ready for the Trojans. So if USC is on their game and uh, Washington is still kind of sleepwalking through that early schedule, that could be a, a big stumbling block on September 28th. Um, my uh, my why not, my, my reasons why they could be kept out is, first of all, they're in the Pac-12, and that conference overall does not look very good right now, Bip. Aside from maybe Oregon, maybe USC and Utah on the South, um, you're not going to get a lot of, uh, you know, street cred and, and style points by beating those teams in a, in a lower pack 12. In fact, we saw something on Twitter this week where 
Some people were comparing the Pac-12 to the American Athletic Conference, saying that the American Athletic Conference was better than the Pac-12. Now, that's a good debate that we could have, but we'll go into it another time. Um, other things that the Huskies might have going against them, too many losses on defense, nine starters, um, and a lack of a home run threat on offense as of right now. Now, the guy that you mentioned, Marquis Spiker, um, who's a redshirt freshman that a lot of coaches like and a lot of people in Seattle like. And then a very fast Salvin Ahmed um, at running back could change our minds by November on that home run threat. But they just, as of right now, don't really have an established deep guy that Eason can throw to or someone that can just break off and, and take it to the house um, unless it's Ahmed running behind that talented offensive line. And then the other thing is a lot of unproven commodities on both sides of the ball, especially in the, quote, skill positions on offense and in the front seven on defense, particularly at linebacker. They're fast, they're talented, but not as much game experience as you'd like to see. And again, like I mentioned, USC at home, uh, they play at Stanford, which is probably going to be a night game where Stanford plays a little bit better. Don't count out also um, going out to Corvallis, Oregon on November 8th. I know that everybody is chalking this up as a three-touchdown um, you know, gimme for the Huskies, but Oregon State's going to be improved, and you're playing Jonathan Smith, who was on the Husky staff two years ago. He knows some tricks of the trades. He knows Chris Peterson. That could be a game down the, down the line that uh, could give Washington some troubles. Um, but that's, that's kind of why I see the Huskies potentially maybe not making the college football playoff this year, Bip. Sure. Well, those are our Power Five teams. We do want to give some love to Danny White and the UCF Knights out in Orlando, Florida, because we know that UCF fans are getting to be about as rabid as most SEC fans. They they travel well. They they love their Golden Knights out there. So we're going to give you a little bit of a shout out here on a bowl full of chips. So, Bip, reasons why UCF might make the college football playoff this year. First of all, what? they play a... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. By all means. All right. Uh, first of all, they play a respectable schedule with back-to-back games against Stanford and at the bounce house. Uh, I'm sorry. They play against Stanford at the bounce house and then at Pitt. Um, they also play Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, and Houston, who all could end up with nine or ten wins this year. So that would certainly give them resume boosts by beating those teams if those teams end up coming out with with successful campaigns. Um, their offense should be able to score a lot of points, especially with Greg McRae running the ball. Um, if they can get Daryl Mack and uh, Brandon Wimbush, uh, one of those two guys to emerge as a quarterback, they've got skill guys at the receiver position. I, I also like Killens as an all-purpose back, um, certainly a home run threat. They also travel well, and as we know, UCF fans are nuts and have been clamoring for this college football spot for three years now. So if they're undefeated, if they get some help from the outside and we see the big boys knocking each other off, those are reasons why UCF could get their shot this year. And if for nothing else from the playoff committee, just to shut up the UCF fans uh, and give them a chance at the at the big dance. And if they make it like Butler in college basketball, great. But if they don't, it'll prove the committee's point that they don't belong there just yet. Right. Um, I, I, I agree. Their offense should be pretty good returning three of the top receiving threats. And then that backfield duo of uh, Killens and Greg McCray might be one of the most dangerous in the country. Um, and in a similar manner, their secondary is going to be one of the better defensive units in the country as well. Uh, their non-conference schedule, like you said, if they can finish the season undefeated, um, trips to Florida Atlantic and Pitt are definitely winnable for them. Uh, getting Stanford at home should be a nice win for them as well. But I'm not completely sold on uh, the Cardinals' overall success this year. Yeah. Uh, but 
for that's for another time within an in and of itself i think they would still need a ton of help and i think that they would need to go up against um only one other undefeated within that uh, consideration for the playoff for them to even have a chance but they do have the talent to potentially go undefeated and with that schedule that uh as it is with the uh teams like Pitt and Stanford on it it could give more cause for um considering them for the playoff yep and i do think that their defense needs to get better they've got a good defensive coordinator in Randy Shannon but um you know, nationally last year, they were kind of mediocre on defense, but that rush defense was not very good. And from their spring report this year, um, that D line and, and those linebackers were getting gashed by the run game. Granted, we mentioned that they've got some pretty good running backs going against them in practice, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, to get that national notoriety, you're going to have to be really top 30 on both sides of the ball. And I just don't see that on defense as of yet for them. Um, so, what about why not? Why why won't they make the college football playoff, Bip? Well, plain and simple, and it kind of kills me to say this, but it's the quarterback position. Now, yeah. Brandon Wimbush is a headache for opposing defenses when he uses legs with over 1,100 career rushing yards and 16 touchdowns. However, Wimbush is also a headache for his own coaching staff and fan base when he's throwing the ball, having barely completed over 50% of his passes throughout his career. His four touchdowns and six interceptions uh, last year for Notre Dame is also a concern. His biggest problem really is the fact that he can't throw short and intermediate passes that require touch on the ball. And if I may quote Coach Herman Boone, you can throw the ball a mile, but you can't pitch it three yards. <laughs> if the UCF coaching staff can get the most out of his legs and stick to the deep ball with Wimbush, they may be they might be in uh, good shape as he's as he's shown uh, the past couple of years that if he's relied upon to dink and dunk or utilize screen passes, um, expect Dario Mack to to maybe be forced into action sooner than later. And if they're forced to have him or uh, Brandon Wimbush in there uh, due to ineffectiveness of Mac, they could be in for a long season offensively and could show how much that they really miss Mackenzie Milton. Yeah. Um, I, my reasons are this, first of all, it's, it's simple. They're not a power five school. Uh, this will ultimately be their undoing, whether you consider that fair or unfair. Even if there were all two lost teams at the top, I still don't see the committee taking an undefeated team with a strength of schedule in the middle third of the country over a two loss SEC Big 10, or even a Big 12 team this year. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but let's keep in mind the committee, like the world is, or I'm sorry, let's keep in mind, like the committee, like the world, is run more by politics than it is by justice. Speaking of politics, their athletic director, Danny White, while trying to do the right thing, may be rubbing the college football world and the committee the wrong way by a lot of his statements that he's making and what is perceived as kind of crying out to, to be noticed and crying for attention. And that may have a negative political effect on the committee, even if they do go undefeated. And then lastly, their run defense is what needs to be shored up. Like I talked about, they were 118th nationally in run defense last year, giving up 222 yards a game. And if you look at some of their opponents, Stanford in week three may not have an established running back that's a, a, a thumper just yet. So I'll give them a pass on that. But when they play at Cincinnati, Michael Warren and, and his uh, crew at running back are going to pose problems, and in a solid run game is going to keep that high-scoring UCF offense off the field. Then when they play South Florida and Jordan Cronkite, um, the Florida transfer um, in, in the last week of the season, that could pose some problems. And then if they make the AAC championship game from the east, which they should, they're likely to go against uh, Memphis from the west, and Patrick Taylor is going to be the, the running back that's going to carry them this year. So 
three pretty good run games. And if the, if that run defense is not short up, keep in mind they only returned two of their front seven coming back from last year, which wasn't very good to begin with. Um, that could be some big issues that could keep the UCF Knights from being undefeated and certainly would keep them out of the college football playoff. Yep, and I'm with you. I think the fact that they're, they are they play in the AAC and they're going to have that middling strength of schedule uh, could be just as big a reason as any if they go undefeated. Yep. So uh, real quick, there are others that are kind of outliers, uh, teams with an outside shot, kind of like making a 60-yard field goal. So we're just going to do rapid fire here. Um, LSU, I think that they could make it because they are a talented team. If the SEC plays outright and they, either they beat Alabama or their only losses to Alabama, not playing in the SEC championship, if they get help from how things shake down outside of uh, the SEC, you could look at LSU. Uh, making it into that final four bit. Yep, I like them as well. Uh, my biggest question for them, I, I'm not completely sold on who they're going to have running the ball this year. And playing at Texas and having Utah State come into town as part of their non-conference schedule and then getting into the SEC conference play, that's a lot on their plate. But if they can go uh, and rip off 11 wins or 12 wins, then they should for sure have a spot in the playoff. Yep, and I, I'm going to say right now, I think that people are overvaluing Texas and Utah State, and, and LSU gets them both early, so I think that that's going to play into their favor. So speaking of Texas, they're the next team. Um, I think that if Sam Ellinger can stay healthy and if he can have as efficient, if not more efficient season than he did last year, then the Horns are right in it. Um, I think Keontae Ingram is a good running back that can, you know, he's added some bulk. I think he's put on about 20 pounds from last year. They do have some talent at receiver, even though they lost Brew McCoy, um, who's going back for like a fifth time to USC. My <laughs> question for them, though, is on defense. They're young. Um, they, they've got to have some help at the linebacker spot. I like their secondary, um, but in that front seven, they've got to get things short up, and, and I'm not sold that they beat Oklahoma this year. I like that secondary as well. I'm not sure if they have enough on offense, especially if Ellinger were to uh, get hurt or for some reason be a little less effective this year than he was last year. Um, so, um, but, but yeah, I'm with you They're They're definitely a contender team. I want to go into is the Oregon ducks. Um, they have, in my opinion, an underrated secondary. They have experienced uh, or an experienced quarterback, Justin Herbert returning deep group of receivers and even better group of running backs and maybe the best offensive line in the country. Um, I don't necessarily trust Mario Cristobal, Cristobal just yet. Mm -hmm. Plus, they start the year against Auburn and also are on the road this year against Washington, Stanford and USC. Yeah, I, uh, you know, this is the team that's being thrown around, around as maybe one of the most overrated. I'm not completely sold that Justin Herbert is um, one of the best quarterbacks in college football, maybe as a pro prospect, but as one of the, as a college football quarterback, he just didn't wow me last year like all the publications were suggesting that he should. Um, you know, I think playing at Washington is going to be a big challenge for Oregon, especially since they beat the Huskies last year and, and I think knocked them out of the undefeated ranks. Uh, they also have to travel to USC, who is going to be, you know, my surprise team out of the Pac-12 this year. They're going to be playing a lot of young talent, uh, you know, guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, Michael Wright, Micah Pittman. Some of those guys are, you know, Josh Delgado. They're going to get a lot of experience, but, you know, some of that youth could come into a, a position where Oregon's just not there yet. And I agree with you. I'm not completely sold on Cristobal. Clearly a great offensive line coach, a great recruiter, but can he put the whole package together yet? That'll be seen this year. And I'll be sold if they do go undefeated and make the college football playoff. 
as long as he avoids the meltdown like against Stanford last year, he should be in better hands. Yeah, than, take uh... a damn knee, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Chappy, I got one more team for you. Um, and yeah, bring in the booze and the Homer chance right now. I'm going to go with my Notre Dame Irish. Oh, um, <laughs> one of the best groups of uh, pass rushers in the country with Aquara, Kareem and Hayes. One of the best safety duos in the country with Gilman and Elliott. They return Ian Book, who's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the country, and have lots of starting experience and talent along the offensive line. My biggest question is they lack some depth at the de- at defensive tackle, so if they have one or two of those guys go down, they're going to be real thin at that position. Multiple co- uh, questions at linebacker, even coming out of the spring. They lack uh, playoff-level depth at running back, and this year the schedule is pretty daunting as they travel to Georgia and Michigan, as well as the majority of their op- their opponents come off either a bye the week before or playing an, inter- an inferior opponent the week before. So you have to wonder how that's going to play out with uh, opponents potentially being able to key in on the Irish more often than not. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I Questions in the front seven, especially um, you know the two new linebackers. I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced on their run game yet. I think they'll be good. Jafar Armstrong has bulked up. He looked really good in the spring game, but um, you know, as they showed last year, it's it's it can't be just a, a one back offense. I think that there needs to be more weapons utilized. And you know, I Brian Kelly just hasn't seemed to put two consecutive stellar seasons together at Notre Dame. He's a good coach, and they've had back to back good seasons but to go from right. you know college football playoff one year and then come right back and do it again they just don't return enough for me to have the confidence to to say that they'll be in this year as well and like you mentioned they're missing that true home run hitter like, like they had with dexter williams yeah. last year too that should hurt them yep um other teams to think about florida uh felipe franks i think it all re- revolves around him he's either going to be really good and carry this team or he's going to have brain farts and and ego problems and that team's going to melt down uh, but they you know certainly are going to put up a big challenge to the the bulldogs in the sec east there and that's mm-hmm. another case where florida could be like i'm saying with lsu if they're a one loss team and they've beaten LSU, uh, and their only losses to Georgia, and Georgia makes it in, or even if they, Georgia doesn't make it in, but Georgia makes it to the SEC championship, you could look at an 11-1 Gators team that gets an outside chance at, at making the CFP. Um, right. I think Utah is another team that could flirt with it just because in the Pac-12 South, if they beat USC, they're really not going to be challenged. I'm not sold on Arizona State like a lot of people are out on that side of the country. Um, and they do play against Washington, but if they beat the Huskies, then this is the team from the Pac-12, but they have to go undefeated to do it. They certainly return a lot of talent from last year's team. Um, Auburn's another one that I think a lot of people are sleeping on, and I'm not saying that they are a, a college football playoff team, um, they may not even win double digit games this year, but I think that they're at the very least an eight win team. And if things go right, if they can go into that Alabama game with one loss or even undefeated, I like their chances on the planes at home at Jordan Hare, um, especially playing in honor of, um, you know, their, their play-by-play guy that's passed away tragically this off season. Um, Gus Malzahn could take the Tigers uh, in the right direction. And I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here, although they're not my true team. The Michigan State Spartans, they could, if they get their coaching uh, needle pointed in the right direction, they've got enough returning talent and they've got a 
kick butt defense to where if they win the East, if they play in the Big Ten Championship and somehow pull it off and win it, and, and it's it's a good chance that they will because coming out of the East, the East looks a lot stronger than the West does in the Big Ten. Um, the Michigan State Spartans could be a team where Mark D'Antonio always seems to bring a team like this and come out of nowhere and say, you thought we couldn't do it, but here we are. And then he gives you that scowl like, you know, F you, all of you. Um, I told you we could do it. So um, keep an eye out for Sparty as an outside, outside shot. That's more like a 68-yard field goal there, Pip. Right. Well, if they can turn in their 1930s playbook for a 1950s playbook <laughs> on offense, I think they'll be in good shape because that defense is going to be scary. Right, right. Um, and I'm going to go on record and say nobody from the ACC besides Clemson has any shot at the college football playoff this year. Um, the nah. only way they do is if that team beats Clemson and goes undefeated. So if Florida State somehow, you know, I think they're going to be a surprise in the ACC. If they knock off the Clemson Tigers, um, but they have one other loss somewhere else, they're gone. They're out. And even an undefeated team aside from Clemson from the ACC, I still think that they may not get a shot to play in the college football playoff. I think the ACC is just that uh, down this year. Yep. Yeah. If you're, if you're looking for easy money, find your uh, gambling buddy and bet anyone, but Clemson in the ACC uh, goes undefeated this year. That's uh should be an easy bet for right, you. Right. <laughs> so what do you think? Did we hit, or do you think we're as dumb as the people we referenced in our beginning? Well, either way, tell us what you think on Twitter at champion underscore lit or at BFC BIP. Or again, email us at bowlfullofchips at gmail.com. We're glad you listened and gave us your ears for the last hour or so. And remember, when it comes to complete college football coverage, only BFC brings football closer. On our next podcast, we'll try to hit you with the news and notes of the week and any late movement in the transfer portal, even who the NCAA liberally grants a waiver of immediate eligibility and who they unjustifiably deny due to circumstances beyond reasonable control. Coming in July, we'll give you our full-fledged 2019 predictions for every Power 5 conference, every team that fights within, as well as our Group of 5 outlooks, too, and which teams might burst some bubbles and work their way into national discussion. And a hint, it's not just UCF or Boise. So if you haven't yet subscribed, what are you doing? Hit that subscribe button and make things easy on yourself in the future. And if you have a moment, rate us as well. Be honest, but five stars is typically the way to go, and we appreciate your feedback. Please also share the good word with friends and family that eat, sleep, breathe, and bleed college football. Remind them about a bowl full of chips, the best growing college football podcast out there. BIP, the season is just 73 days away, and in that time, we promise mm-hmm. to give continue giving you all the info you look for and more. Follow us again on Twitter um, and, and chime in and help us uh, continue to get teased and excited for the kickoff on August 24th. So there's the teams with playoff dreams built by players, work, and coaching schemes. And in the end, it's not who they are now, but what they become through the work and the plow. And they'll give us plenty of highlights and clips, and we'll cover it all here on A Bowl Full of Chips. Good night, everybody. Baby, bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye.